Hello, romance book lovers. Welcome to Tales from the Heart. I'm Jenna Hart, and each week I post new episodes from my stories of crime and passion. Right now, we're listening to Old Flames Never Die, book two of the Valentine Mysteries. This week is episode three, chapters five and six, where we find out the fallout of Jack's late night assistance to live, and we follow Tess as she begins to help Daniel in his investigation. Now, if you'd like to read along or get ahead in the story, you can get Old Flames Never Die from your favorite ebook retailer, or you can buy direct from me. You can visit jennahart.com forward slash valentine for all the details. Now, Old Flames Never Die is the second in the series. If you missed book one, Deadly Valentine, you can listen by checking earlier episode postings, or if you'd like to read it, you can get Deadly Valentine for free at my website, jennahart.com. Now, Tales from the Heart is posted to podcast platforms and YouTube each week. These episodes are edited to censor out any intimate content. If you'd like to have the versions that include the spicy bits, plus early access to the episodes, behind-the-scenes information about the stories, bonus content, and more, please join me over at Rain Stories. You can learn more at reamstories.com forward slash Jenna Hart. Never miss the mystery of romance by hitting the subscribe button. And remember that all the details and links you might need are a click away in the description. Now snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Chapter 5 Jack downshifted even as he pushed the accelerator through the turn. There was a time when driving fast, even recklessly, was the only thing that got his blood pumping. Tess had changed that. She'd brought life back to him when he thought he was dead inside forever. He took another turn. The wheels squealed as they worked to hold the road. Now the speed and power wasn't about breaking the deadening numbness. It was about aggression and anger. Why couldn't Tess trust that he knew what he was doing? Why did he feel like he had to bring her along to chaperone just so she could see that Liv was only a friend? The more he thought about it, the more resentment built. He shouldn't have to prove his love to Tess. It's practically all he'd been doing since they'd reunited. And for what? She planned to move back to her own house when it was finished, because she couldn't bring herself to trust his love. If she didn't believe in him by now, she probably never would. And because of that, she was going to help Daniel. Jack snorted at the thought. He must be beside himself with glee that Tess asked to work with him. Jack's muscles bunched at the thought of the two of them working together. He wanted to be thrilled that Tess had never slept with Daniel, but he knew it didn't matter how intimate they'd been. Daniel loved her regardless, and would always try to undermine their relationship. And now Jack was adding fodder to the fire. Chances are someone was watching Liv's every move. Not only was he about to give Daniel more ammunition, he'd give the whole community something to talk about if he was seen at the hotel with Liv. He should turn around, get Tess, and bring her with him, assuming she was still at his house. He banged his hand on the steering wheel. It would be like her to move out, or at least to the guest room when he got back. Was his friendship with Liv really worth that? Tess may be unreasonable, but he was certain he couldn't live without her. He pressed on the brake, slowing the car to turn around. Except the anger and the hurt wouldn't quite let him. Damn her. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He didn't need a chaperone. If she didn't trust him, then the hell with her. He'd done all he could to convince her he loved her. If she couldn't get that through her stubborn skull, well, that was her problem. Jack, thank you so much for coming. Tess wasn't too upset, was she? Liv opened the door as Jack stalked up her front steps. 
Not at all. Is that your suitcase? He didn't wait for her to answer. He picked up the bag and turned back to his car. He put the case in the back and then got in on the driver's side of the car. You know, you could just stay on the couch and then we wouldn't need to drive into town. She got in the car beside him. Tess is waiting. Of course. They drove in silence until Jack reached the main road to Jefferson Tavern City Center. I didn't realize that you and Tess were living together. Yes, although he knew Tess didn't see it that way. It's serious? It is for me. He winced as he realized that he might be giving away the strain in their relationship. But not for her? No, it's for her too. I'm just tired. It's been a long day. You're right about that. Did you call the lawyer? He asked. Yes. He agrees with you and Tess. I just can't see why. I wasn't even in town. Keep him on retainer. Why? Do you know something? I just know that when the police get something in their craw, they work it and work it. That's right. You were recently accused of murder, too. He nodded. The police are fair, but that doesn't mean that they always interpret the clues correctly. Don't talk to them without your lawyer. He pulled into the parking lot of the hotel. He got out of the car and retrieved her bag. You don't have to go in with me. I can take it from here. Are you sure? Jack tried to hide his relief. Each minute he was away from Tess, he felt her slipping further away. He needed to get back and fix things with her somehow. I know we haven't kept in touch, so it means so much that you're here. You were there for me. I'm just returning the favor. She reached over and touched the side of his face. It's not quite the same, but thank you anyway. At first he thought she was going to hug him. That is, until her lips met his. Tess sat on the back porch off the bedroom trying to reason out her feelings. She knew there was jealousy and annoyance that Jack would leave her in the middle of night, after making love, no less, to help live. And because she understood him, his loyalty and kindness, she worked to keep those feelings in check. But there were more feelings she couldn't quite make sense of. She was unsettled, agitated even. She couldn't attribute them to Jack's actions, or Liv's, at least not directly. While the issue with Liv had caused strain, so far they'd been able to focus on what was important. Jack had told her many times that people in love could disagree and survive. She believed him. So why did she feel like she was twisting in the wind, without roots? The front door opened then shut, and his steps sounded on the stairs. Tess? His voice sounded tentative. He poked his head through the porch doors. She wasn't sure what he saw in her face, but his worry immediately changed to anger. Daniel called, didn't he, that bastard? She kissed me in gratitude, that's it. Tess felt a little pop in her heart that she wasn't able to disguise. Jack winced, then turned away, running his hands through his hair. Finally, he turned back to her. He didn't call, did he? She shook her head. He dropped to the chair next to her. Then why are you out here looking like you're contemplating leaving me? I'm not contemplating leaving. She wanted to ask him about the kiss, but remembered that she promised herself she wasn't going to act jealous. The room was silent, except for the cicadas singing in the night. He sighed. I was dropping her off at the front of the hotel. I thought she was going to hug me, but she kissed me. I pushed her away. She's clear on my feelings for you. 
I believe you. She wasn't lying. The reason she dared to allow her heart to love him was that she believed in his honesty and loyalty. It didn't mean he'd love her forever, but he wouldn't betray her. That she was sure of. Still, it didn't remove the sting of another woman trying to take her man. It would be hard to keep that feeling in check as she sought to put Liv in jail. I'm sorry I left the way I did, he continued. I was frustrated. She nodded. I know the feeling. Is that why you're out here? Frustration? How could she explain her feelings to him when she wasn't quite sure what they were herself? Just couldn't sleep. He didn't look convinced, and she could see he wanted to question her more. Instead, he stood, moved in front of her, and reached out his hands. Instinctively, she took them and let him pull her to a stand. It's late. Why don't we go to bed? She nodded. Tess. He dropped his forehead against hers. Don't build walls. The problem was, she felt she needed them, but she was too emotionally exhausted to erect them. Instead, she nodded. He gave her a weak smile and pressed a tender kiss to her lips, then guided her to bed. The next morning, Tess walked into the police station, hoping Daniel had good news. That morning, she was excited to have something to do instead of hanging around Jack's house and pondering her career prospects. She was especially eager to get details of the case so she could determine just how much trouble Liv could create for Jack. As she walked out the door that morning, Jack wished her luck, but it sounded forced. In fact, the entire morning felt forced where Jack was concerned, and Tess was at a loss about what she should do. Daniel's eyes narrowed as Tess approached his desk. I didn't think you were coming. Why not? Well? He motioned for her to sit. Last night. What about last night? He studied her as if he was trying to figure out what to say. Then it dawned on her. Oh, you mean Jack taking Liv to a hotel. She called because you trashed her house and she couldn't stay in it. So it's my fault. It is what it is. But she didn't want to talk about Jack and Liv. She was more interested in finding out if Daniel had talked to the Commonwealth's attorney. But Daniel continued to look concerned. Finally, he picked up the morning paper and tossed it to her. Did you see this? Tess had a sinking feeling in her stomach. It wouldn't be the first time her and Jack's personal business ended up in the paper. Sure enough, there was a blurb about the recently widowed Mrs. Danforth and her former lover, Jack Valentine, who, of course, was living with the recently unemployed and homeless Tess Madison. At least the picture didn't catch the kiss. The fact that the kiss was too fast for a photo meant Jack had detached from Liv's lips quickly, confirming Jack's statement. Inwardly, she winced as her thoughts suggested maybe she didn't trust him. Slow news night. She tossed the paper at him. I thought that maybe you and Jack. What? That I dumped him because his ex wants to get her hands on him? As a man, you won't appreciate this, but everywhere I go, there are women who want to get their hands on him. How many of them does he meet in the middle of the night, or kiss? She kissed him. That's what he told you? That's the truth. So did you talk to Carter? She was ready to move on to the reason for her visit. I did. And? And he told me to have you sign these.
Officially, you're helping his office, not us. Daniel passed a folder with papers to her. They were standard contract papers, but she still took the time to read every word before taking Daniel's pen and signing them. Most people don't read everything. He smirked. That's why they end up needing lawyers. She handed the papers back to him. Are you sure Jack is okay with this? Would it matter to you if he wasn't? He gave her a pained look. It would matter if it mattered to you. He doesn't agree with me, but he supports me. So where do I start? Daniel picked up another folder and stood. Follow me. He guided her to an interrogation room. We don't have office space for special investigators, so this will have to do. Here's a copy of everything we have so far. Read it and let me know what you think. Tess set her purse down and sat at the table. Do you want some coffee or something? She shook her head. She was too used to the good stuff to swallow cop mud. I'll leave you to it then. Tess opened the file and started with crime scene photos. Charles Danforth sat in a chair, looking as if he were sleeping, except for the bloody hole in his chest made by three thirty-eight caliber bullets. She pulled out her notepad and began to record her thoughts and questions. The medical examiner estimated the time of death between noon and 2 p.m. Saturday. The statement of the estate's caretaker, George Boone, indicated he'd seen Charles Danforth sleeping in his office Sunday morning at 10 a.m. He entered Danforth's office because the lights and air conditioning were on. Boone was surprised. Danforth was there because he'd planned to go fishing with his business partner, Bobby Wilson. He said he thought Danforth was sleeping, so he cut off the lights and turned down the air. But that evening, about six, he saw Danforth through the window and got worried when he realized he hadn't moved since morning. Boone tried to wake Danforth, which is when he noticed the blood-soaked blanket and called the police. Liv gave the same line to the police that she gave to her and Jack at dinner, including the white egg omelet and the eight-after-the-eights weather report. The business partner said Charles was supposed to meet him to fish at Crawford Pond early Sunday morning, but never showed. He said he wasn't worried because Charles often blew off fishing if one of his horses needed attention. The police spoke with Danforth's son over the phone, who indicated he was out of town when his father was killed. The son was planning to attend the funeral, and Tess made a note to ask to go with Daniel and Sam when they talked to the son and his wife in person. The phone call with Danforth's ex-wife didn't yield much. They'd been married only a year or so when they divorced. According to her statement, she hadn't seen Charles since their son's wedding, nearly two years earlier. Tess noticed a call from the police to Teresa Cromwell from Tennessee. According to Cromwell, she and Danforth had bred a few of their horses together. She said she hadn't seen Charles in several weeks. Tess wondered why Daniel and Sam felt the need to talk to this woman unless she and Charles were more than horse-breeding partners. She made a note to ask Daniel about it. The interviews with the trainer and grooms all said the same thing. Charles cared more about his horses than anyone or anything else, although there hadn't been anything pressing happening with the horses that would cause him to miss his fishing date. No one defined the Danforths as happy, but neither could anyone report fighting or other signs of strife. Tess was finishing the last few pages of the file when Daniel entered the room. So, anything of interest catch your eye? The more I see it, the more I think it's her. 
Tess set the paper she'd been studying down. See the proof? No. She sat back and hoped she didn't look like she was pouting. Then, not wanting to be discouraged, she went back to the file. See this? She pointed to an autopsy picture. It's a hole in his chest. In his heart. Three shots right into the heart. Those three shots had to be personal. Daniel nodded. It's odd, isn't it, that the caretaker didn't notice he was dead the first time he checked on Danforth. He even entered the room. He said he thought he was sleeping. Apparently, Danforth slept there a lot. So he didn't approach the body. She pulled out a crime scene photo. He's in his chair covered with a blanket. Looks like he's sleeping. Yes. There's no sign of disturbance. Even his desk is neat, so he must have been sleeping when he was killed. She just tiptoed in and let him have it. The problem is that the time of death clears her. That's the kicker. Tess sighed. Perhaps she hired someone. Maybe, but I don't think so. She couldn't have pulled the trigger, Tess. That still nagged at Tess. But three into the heart? A hired gun would mostly like shoot in the head. More efficient. Daniel sat back. So maybe she told him to shoot him in the heart. Why? If it's going to be done like that, you'd want to do it yourself. Tess sat back again. Unless the killer didn't want anyone to notice he was dead. Maybe she knew he slept there a lot and the caretaker wouldn't disturb him. So she covers the wound. It's harder to cover a gunshot to the head than the chest. It still doesn't tell us who did it. Daniel said. His furrowed brow suggested he was thinking about her idea that the shot to the chest and the blanket were part of the killer's plan. No, it doesn't. So what's next? He asked. Next, I want to talk to the caretaker and Bobby Wilson. About something specific? Not really. I just want to hear their statements directly from them. The caretaker found him, and Wilson was his partner. Partnerships often are like marriages. They can go very wrong as well. Tess thought back to the partnerships she helped dissolve in her law practice, and in many ways it was like a divorce. Do you need me to go with you? No, but I'd like you to go with me to talk to Liv at some point. And I want to tag along when the sun gets to town. Don't want to talk to Liv alone? I just want her to be clear why I'm there. Right. Also, can you tell me about Teresa Cromwell? What does she have to do with Danforth's murder? Mrs. Danforth suggested that she and Charles were more than business acquaintances. And what was your opinion after talking to her? We talked by phone, so I couldn't assess anything by body language. But I think it's possible that Mrs. Danforth was right. Cromwell is supposed to come to the funeral, and Sam and I plan to talk to her then. Can I sit in? He nodded. Can I get copies of this stuff to take with me? She motioned to the file. That's your copy, but... I know, I know. It's confidential. Don't worry, I've got a locked file cabinet at home. But I'm sure Valentine has a key. I'm sure he does, but he won't look. Daniel's expression suggested he thought her faith in Jack was naive. What Daniel didn't understand is that while she believed 100% in Jack's character, that didn't mean he'd never hurt her. Chapter 6 Jack was already in a foul mood when he entered his office at Worthington Corp. He didn't like Tess's mood when he'd arrived home the night before. 
He would have preferred that she'd yelled at him. Instead, she said all the right things, but didn't seem to believe them. To top it off, she was nearly cheerful as she got ready to spend the day with Daniel. The logical part of him reasoned that she was glad to have something work-related to fill her day. But he couldn't stand the idea of her meeting with Daniel and how he'd take advantage of that. He threw his pen across the room. I see you've read the paper this morning. Jack looked up to see the Senator Worthington, Lauren, his ex-daughter-law, and Philip, his grandson, entering the office. God, could his day start out any worse? What are you talking about? What does Tess think about your late-night rendezvous? Lauren said, as the senator tossed the paper on the desk. Jack picked up the paper and read a brief article about the Danforth murder investigation. It had the search on Liv's home, as well as Jack's escorting her to the hotel. Of course, it failed to mention that he'd dropped her off at the lobby. How do you do it? Murder just seems to find you, doesn't it, boy? The senator took a seat in one of the guest chairs. I knew this whole deal was a bad idea. Lauren spoke with an air of conceit. Jack grabbed his coat. You forget that I don't need this deal. You do. If you have a problem with me, I'm happy to take my money and my team and leave. Now, now, don't get upset. We're just concerned about how this will affect Worthington Media. The senator patted the air with his hands, as if that would calm Jack's growing annoyance. You don't have to worry about Worthington's image. Jack headed out the door. Where are you going? Lauren demanded. Jack ignored her. He was barely out of the building when his cell phone rang. What do you need, Brad? Normally, in this mood, he'd ignore his right-hand man, Brad Chancellor. But since Brad was responsible for Jack not tanking his business when his mother got ill, and the company's continued growth, he knew he needed to take the call. Just checking in. I'm wondering if you enjoy bringing excitement to this corporate empire I've built for you. I have to say the board liked it better when you weren't so involved. I see you read the paper. Internet. How do you do it? Two murder investigations in a few months? Jack didn't want to get into it with Brad. I'm on it. Tell everyone not to worry. I already did that. I just wanted to know if I was lying. No, you weren't. Jack got into his car and headed to the police station. You just missed Tess, Daniel said as Jack stalked to his desk. My business is with you. Daniel pointed to a chair. What's on your mind? Are you purposefully feeding the media biased information about me? Daniel's eyes widened in surprise, then morphed into amusement. You're not really going to blame me for your actions, are you? Surely Tess warned you that you'd be watched. By the police, yes. So who here is telling the media? The Danforth murder is news. I'm sure the media is staked out anywhere Mrs. Danforth goes. Probably more now after last night's escapade. Jack's jaw clenched. I just dropped her off. The police know it and the media knows it, but no one seems to care about the truth. I don't really care about your personal life. The hell you don't. You'll take any advantage to get Tess, but here's a news flash, Daniel. Even if I were out of the picture, she still wouldn't fall in love with you. Daniel's eyes narrowed and Jack was glad to have wiped the smug look off his face. I know where I stand with Tess. My interest now is in protecting her. Fine. While you're working on ruining my reputation and relationship, take this into consideration. I love her. And you will watch her become my wife. If you love her so much, why are you running to a former lover in the middle of the night? She was afraid to stay in the house, the home her husband was murdered in and that you ransacked. Why you? Daniel sat back in his chair looking too comfortable for Jack's taste. Look, I'm not here to answer police questions. 
I just want you to know that I won't tolerate misleading news stories about me, nor will I let you hurt my relationship with Tess. A woman approached Daniel's desk. I'm sorry to interrupt, Detective Showalter, but you told me to deliver these directly to you when they were finished. Yes, thank you, Karen. Daniel took the pile of folders from her. He set them on his desk, stood, and then retrieved his jacket. If you have problems with the media, you need to take it to them. I don't feed them information. Whoever is sharing information should at least get it right. I wonder if they'd be interested in how a certain police detective was immediately at Tess's boyfriend's home to tattle on him yesterday, how his personal feelings are clouding a murder investigation. Daniel's jaw tensed. There is no proof of that. That's one thing I learned from Tess. Except in court, it doesn't matter what can be proven. I can cast the same shadows on your character and I will if I have to. You don't scare me, Valentine. She asked to work with me, and I won't back off this investigation. I'm not telling you to back off the investigation. I'm telling you to stop using your personal agenda in this investigation. Do your job. I am. Jack scoffed. Not very well. Let me give you a piece of advice, Jack. I don't need advice from you. Take it anyway. When you have a woman like Liv who's nice to look at on the outside and probably pretty good in bed, but lacks any sort of depth compared to a woman like Tess who has all the same qualities, plus she's smart, kind, and full of love, go with the woman like Tess, because right now everything you're doing indicates you're choosing Liv. Before Jack could find a response that wouldn't get him arrested, Daniel picked up the pile of folders, rounded his desk, and left the building. Tess was beginning to think interviewing the staff at the Danforth farm was a waste of time. The one person she really wanted to talk to, George Boone, was running errands in town. The barn staff reported the same information they'd shared with Daniel and Sam. And now the trainer, Tanner Rogers, was echoing what the others said. If anyone asked her, Tess would be able to report that Charles Danforth loved his horses more than anyone or anything— he was indifferent to his wife and kept his personal and business issues to himself. Undaunted, Tess pressed on with Tanner. Had Charles had any unusual accidents? Tanner's brows drew together. No. Why? Sometimes murderers don't get it right the first time. I'm wondering if anything had happened to him before that might have seemed like a fluke accident. Not that I know of. Did Mr. Danforth seem upset or worried about anything? Tanner gave an indifferent shrug. As someone who works with horses, you must be in tune to subtle changes of temperament in your horses. Maybe you'd notice subtle changes in your boss, too. I guess. I suppose he was a little off a few months ago. What happened? Mr. Danforth had wanted to step up the quality of horses on the farm. He wanted the triple crown. So I found this really great filly. She's a little old, but has great breeding particularly on her sire side. If he could swing the cost and breed her with Galaxy Rise, he might get a winning racehorse. But he was distracted or something. I kept telling him about the deal, that he needed to act fast. But he did nothing, which is odd, because usually the horses come first in everything. Do you have any idea why he was distracted? Tanner shook his head. Maybe he didn't have the money? Maybe, but he never said anything. Recently, he asked me to look at a couple of yearlings he was eager to buy, which would cost way more than this filly. You mentioned earlier about him swinging the cost. Was money an issue? 
Tanner shrugged. I don't know the accounting. But you think the money might be an issue? I don't know. He was always tight with the money. I think his family trust has limits to what he can spend. He might have had a business deal or something he said would give him the money he needed. A business deal. The only other business I'm aware of is the partnership with Mr. Wilson. Is that what he was referring to? I don't know. Mr. Danforth never gave much information about anything. What about Teresa Cromwell? What about her? What sort of relationship did Danforth have with her? Tanner gave her an amused look. She owned horses. He owned horses. Nothing more? Danforth was a very private person. Were any of the horses he wanted to buy hers? No, but her horse, Trimeter, was sired by Galaxy Rise and is currently heating up the track. Tess wasn't sure what all this meant, but she made a mental note of it. She thanked Tanner and left him her number in case he thought of anything further. Once in her car, Tess wrote down what Tanner had told her. She didn't know much about horse racing, but hundreds of thousands of dollars in expenses with the goal of winning millions could lead to murder, she supposed. She put a star next to the note about the business deal that Danforth thought would bring him the money to buy the horses and breeding services he desired. She put a question mark next to Teresa Cromwell. Tanner didn't give any information, but his smirk suggested that there were rumors about her and Danforth's relationship. Once her notes were written, she drove to Bobby Wilson's construction company. On her way, she called Daniel. Your boyfriend was in to see me this morning. Why? He seems to think I'm trying to ruin his reputation and his relationship with you. That doesn't sound like Jack. It was Jack, all right. What happened? He told me he loved you and that I'd see you marry him one day. Yes, he's quite certain that will happen. And what about you? Tess pulled to a stop at the light. It's a possibility. She shook her head that she'd even consider marriage. Three months earlier, she was committed to being a spinster, and now she was thinking of love ever after. Did he say anything else? He thinks I'm sending biased information to the media. Ah, the paper this morning. I wondered how he'd react. He reacted by coming here accusing me of feeding information and threatened to do the same if I didn't do my job. Tess eased the car forward when the light turned green, but her mind was on Jack. He wasn't usually one to worry about what others thought about him. His reaction was strange. I'll stop by and talk to him after I meet with Wilson. How'd it go with the Danforths? Tess told him what the trainer had shared. So you're wondering where the money is coming from? Maybe Wilson will have an answer for that. We'll see. I'm pulling into Wilson's now. Keep me posted. Tess turned off her phone, tossing it in her purse. She entered the office where a young woman with big hair and small clothes sat behind a desk. Is Mr. Wilson here? Tess asked. The woman looked up from her computer screen. He's in a meeting, but should be done shortly. Who should I tell him is here? Tess Madison. I'm a special investigator with the Commonwealth's Attorney's Office. Is this about Mr. Danforth? Tess nodded. Such a shame. Did you know him? She shook her head. I don't think anyone really knew him. He pretty much kept to his self. Still, to be minding your own business and have someone pop you in the chest? That's cold. I bet it was that wife of his. What makes you say that? She just seems cold, you know. Everyone knows she only married him for the money.
Tess had been thinking the same thing, but coming out of Mr. Wilson's secretary's mouth made it sound like gossip. Will he be much longer? Just a couple of minutes. He's chewing out a sub who cost him two grand in damages. That's a lot. She shrugged. Jimmy Lee cost him more when he flooded the Jordan place. Does Jimmy Lee still work here? Hell, no. Debbie? The woman turned to look at the man entering the room. Preceding him was a younger man who looked like he'd been chewed up and spit out. Yes, sir. This is Ms. Madison with the Commonwealth's Attorney's Office. It's about Mr. Danforth. The middle-aged man looked Tess over. I already talked with the police. I just have a few more questions. Tess stepped forward, forcing him to step back and allow her into his office. I have about five minutes before I need to meet with my lawyer. I'm heading off a lawsuit because of that numb nut who just left my office. She followed Wilson into his office. It was modest, with pictures of soccer teams he'd sponsored, newspaper articles, and a deer head mounted on the wall. His desk was covered in papers. What can I help you with? He sat down behind his desk. I'd like to review and ask a few new questions if I could. Okay. You said that Charles was supposed to meet you Saturday morning to go fishing. Is that right? Tess sat in one of the uncomfortable plastic chairs in front of Mr. Wilson's desk. Yes, we were supposed to meet at Crawford Pond, but he never showed. What did you do when he didn't show? I called him a few times at his home and cell phone, but there was no answer, so I fished without him. You weren't worried when he didn't answer? No, I figured something came up with the horses. That was his first love. So he's missed fishing outings with you before? Sure, a few times. Wilson reached for a cigarette that had been smoldering in a saucer. You and Mr. Danforth have been friends for a long time. Is that right? That's right. I did some work on his home when he first bought it. We found we had a lot in common. Such as? Tess asked. Fishing and hunting, mostly. We both preferred bow hunting to guns. Tess tried to ignore the vision of little Bambies being speared with arrows. Did you know Mrs. Danforth very well? Not too well. Tess waited for him to elaborate, but he didn't. Did Mr. Danforth ever talk about his marriage? No. He never mentioned her? Not really. If you ask me, they didn't really act like married people. In what way? Well, I don't know. They didn't fight or anything, like I said. It was like two strangers living in the same home. Did Mr. Danforth ever mention if his wife was having an affair? Tess asked. We all knew it happened, but no one ever discussed it, least of all Chuck. You didn't find that odd? Wilson shrugged. For some, maybe, but Chuck always seemed content with how things were going. How about Mr. Danforth? Did he have any lady friends? There was a pregnant pause. Not that I know for sure. But you think maybe? He shrugged. Chuck was a difficult man to be friends with, but he was a man after all. Even he needed a little lovin'. And his wife didn't fit the bill. Like I said, they didn't act like married people. Did he ever mention Teresa Cromwell? Wilson shook his head. Nope. Something on his face had Tess thinking Wilson knew more than he was telling, but that she wouldn't be able to get it out of him. She decided to let it go. Were you aware of any accidents involving Mr. Danforth? Accidents? Did he have any injuries that were unusual or suspicious? Wilson took a moment to think. You think maybe this isn't the first time someone tried to kill him? I don't know. 
It's a possibility. I don't think so, except... Except what? Well, one time when we were hunting, not this last winter, but the winter before, he was nearly shot. Shot? It was just one shot that came out of nowhere. We figured it was just a careless hunter. Does that happen a lot? No. Most hunters take care to know what they're shooting at. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. We reported it to the sheriff's office, but there was really nothing that could be done. We didn't see anyone. How about three weeks ago? Did anything unusual happen then? Tess referred to Tanner's comment about Mr. Danforth being a little off at that time. Three weeks? Let me think. That was April? Yes. He did seem a little preoccupied on a trip we took to Pinehurst. Pinehurst? It's a golf course in Myrtle Beach. We drive down once or twice a year. He was distracted and didn't seem to be having as much fun as he usually does. I figured he and Liv were having problems or something. What kind of problems? I don't know. Like I said, Charles didn't talk much about himself or Liv. You didn't think maybe it was the horses? Nah. He waved the comment away with his cigarette. If there was a problem with the horses, he wouldn't have come on the trip. Tess nodded. It fit with what the trainer had said about Danforth's commitment to his horses. You and Mr. Danforth were working on a business project, isn't that right? Yes, we got a pretty piece of land down in Bucks County that we were developing. Homes? That's right. Affordable homes within commuting distance to Jefferson Tavern. It's been a tough market. Have they been selling? He shook his head and flicked the ash from his cigarette. They ain't even built yet, you know how it goes. If you dig up something other than rock or dirt, the historical people have to come in and make sure it's not a Civil War burial ground or something. Then there are the permits and inspections. Nothing ever seems to go as quickly as you hope. So the project is behind? A little. But we hope to have the roads and water in by the end of the year and first houses on the market by next spring. Tess frowned. If the homes weren't going to be sold until spring, where was Danforth getting the money for the horses? Are you aware of any other business dealings Mr. Danforth had? Wilson shook his head. He was planning to make some big horse purchases? Any idea where he'd come up with the money? His family has money. Tess knew that was an option. Perhaps one of Danforth's relatives was going to go into the horse racing business with him. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tales from the Heart. I hope you enjoyed it and that you will be back to find out what happens next. How are Jack and Tess going to manage the tension between them as Liv starts to divide them? Now remember, you can listen to full uncensored episodes over at ringstories.com forward slash Jenna Hart. And if you'd like to read along or get ahead in the story, you can get Old Flames Never Die from your favorite ebook retailer or save by buying direct from me. All the details and links you might need are click away in the description. Now don't miss the next episode. Hit the subscribe button so you'll know when it's posted. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love, and happily ever after.